Hello and welcome back to Turf Talk. We've got a little bit of a special edition here for you today with everyone being in lockdown. Uh, I'm going to say we've got a panel, but I absolutely hate the word panel as well. It makes us sound far too serious. But we do have, we've got three guests on. We've got uh, the Racing Post and presenter of Racing Riot, Mr. Josh Stacey. Hi, Josh. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good, mate. Yourself? Yeah. Um, don't really know what time of day it is, what day of the week it is, but I'm trying my best to, to still be in tune with everything. Great. Also from the Racing Post and a Magnolia Cup rider, we've got Kitty Trice. Hello. Hi, Kitty. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. How are you? Yeah, sound, sound, and horseracing.net, and formerly of the Racing Post and Weatherby Racers, Joe Tuffin. Hi, Joe. Hi, mate. How are you? Yeah, sound, sound, and of course, we've got, uh, well, as per usual, how shall I introduce you, pal? Junior MasterChef runner up. <laughs> Everyone's got such great racing accolades, and all I've got is Junior MasterChef runner up. That's still impressive. Yeah, we've not got rid of Watson yet. Sadly, trying to kick me out with three new guests. What are you trying to do? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, what what I thought this this would be, and it's something I've kind of had in mind for in mind for a while. And I guess with with lockdown being on, and there not being any horses running, well, maybe apart from Shefters or Bo, who's probably still plodding around Goran Park in the fire station. <laughs> But apart from Chef, uh, there are no horses running and we don't know when there will be any of them back. So I thought this this would be a good opportunity. We're all in our early, early 20s uh, and we're all working in racing. And I thought it'd be a good, uh, just a bit of a, a decent time to take the opportunity to have a bit of discussion about how us young people really as a generation have got, got into the sport, what things we think we could do to encourage more people our age to get into the sport and how we'd approach, uh, uh, approach certain issues and that that are facing it. Uh, I'll come to you first, Josh, because you've you've done absolute bits this year, really, mate, aren't you? And how how has it really come to you? How did you fall in love with racing? Because you're making yeah. a really good career out of it. Thank you very much. Um, I, I got into racing through word of mouth. Um, my stepdad had shares in a horse called Thomas Crapper, um, and when my mum married him, I sort of fell in love with racing because we were going racing most weekends I didn't really have too much of a choice but I've always been uh, I've always liked sports and stuff I sort of didn't like I said I wasn't introduced to racing until I was probably I don't know 12 13 um it was something that no one at my age knew about but I was sort of a bit I was compared to Ray man by my mum um, just because I just was obsessed with everything I wanted to know everything um and probably at 14 15 I could probably tell you I don't know 500 to a thousand horses formed the last year so I don't know it was it, it, it's it, racing now obviously I, I feel incredibly fortunate to work in racing um to do what I'm doing and working for a company like the racing post is extremely sort of a, a huge privilege as well I'm sure Kitty would agree yeah. Yeah, you're from more of a horsey background yourself, are you, Kitty? Um, well, we've had, um, yes, I've come from a horsey background. I did a lot of pony club and sort of competing when I was younger. And I just got through to racing probably sort of 12 years ago, sort of around the Denman Quarter star time. And um, yeah, it just grew from there. And really, my I did sort of initially 
have a interest in sort of eventing and show jumping and that sort of thing but um it, it sort of specialized more into racing really um and yeah here we are brilliant and joel yourself mate yeah so i I come from the, the completely other end of it all really i don't don't have a racing background at all i had no one uh no one involved with the sport from a young age but i was uh, sporting mad and wanted to learn about loads of different sports that i could um and I kind of stumbled across racing after a freezing cold January at Subble, would you believe? Uh, <laughs> and I kind of got into it from there, of all places, to really get into the sport. And, and since then, it's taken over, really, as my, my passion, my part-time my hobby, and now my job. So, yeah, don't look back at all on it. If you can fall in love with racing on a January afternoon at Subble, you can fall in love with it anywhere, can't you? I have no idea what happened on that day. <laughs> I, I think I managed to pick out, I think I had, 20p on with my dad on a four to one winner. <laughs> Ignited my love for the sport. Then I don't know, but you know, you got the Fredo Fredos in that night. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> it was a pretty mental one. And Jim, for you, mate, it's 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 been a bit of a thing with your granddad, hasn't it? Really, your granddad's daughters, and and you have your bigger your big group pub bet. Uh, it's quite a spin. Always been quite a social thing for you, hasn't it? Yeah, I, always sort of has been really. Um, my granddad had chairs with John horses with John Quinn. Uh, elbow and parallel lady and hidden justice was his best who got to run in the triumph hurdle um it, it sort of just grown from that really um doing scoop sixes on a saturday morning and hoping to win the prize has always been the dream since the age of 10 and we it sort of sprung on from there then really yeah i'd i'd, I'd say my my story is probably closest to joe in that not I, I don't live in a house with anyone who knows a thing about racing none of my None of my family or friends are, are really into it, and it, like I said, I think it kind of, one of the most vivid, vivid memories of when I were when I was like really young. Probably, in fact, the first proper vivid memory I have is watching the 2004 Grand National in a back room of the pub across the road from where I live, with my uh, with my family and my cousins. And I remember I watched the Grand National the year after, and then the year after, and then once you start knowing a couple of names that come here and there, you know, Hedgehunter running so many round in that, that time of my life. And you see that name then on Sky Sports News and you think, oh, he's running after... And it just kind of tumbled and tumbled. And by by the time I was 11, it was Channel 4 Racing on record every weekend. And it just grows and grows from there. And it's I'm lucky enough that uh, things are kind of going well from it. But, yeah, I'd... I'd I didn't expect well that that to have led led to this, but I'm I'm really glad it has to be honest. And it is it is quite good. There's quite a lot of good young people in the sport at the minute. I think we're 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 quite a tight knit group, and I think a lot of people back each other up uh, yeah, no, nowadays. And we're, and we we work hard for each other. It's 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 pretty good to be fair. Yeah, good I agree with people. I agree with that because at school I was almost looked as a bit of an outcast because I liked <laughs> racing because. <laughs> Saturday on a Saturday afternoon at three o'clock, everyone would be watching the football. I'd be watching the racing, and I'd, people would go like, "Did you watch the football?" And I do have an interest in it, but racing had come first for me before football. I don't know if anyone else was the same. I was. I've always been a huge United fan. Um, I unfortunately had to go to the pub every weekend with my dad to watch the game. Um, probably from about four until fifteen. Um, <laughs> And I think it's only 
in the last couple of years that that's been the other way around. I think once once I've sort of put my mind to doing some bits online, that's when it's really football sort of gone a different way, and and it's all been about about rating. Um, I think I think the one thing you've got to remember foremost is racing's a, a such a complex sport. I don't really know many sports more complex than racing. Talking distances, uh, ratings, breeding, like qualifications, routes through careers, and it's not something that's easily. I, I, I suppose from an outsider that has nothing to do with racing, it's a very very difficult proposition to get your head around yeah. straight away. Um, and I, I feel that that is a direction we could touch on it later, but that's a direction that we should probably move towards to make it easier to understand from the, from the get go. I think it's a very difficult thing. And yeah. I don't know about you, but I've had a few friends that weren't remotely interested in racing. They sort of saw what I was doing. It looked quite an attractive thing to do. Um, and then you sort of get into it that way. So it's all like word word of mouth. I think that's yeah. quite a, a, a similar way of, of, of going about things and getting into it. But I'm, mm-hmm. I'm quite surprised that both you and, you and Joe sort of didn't have any sort of racing background because the majority of young people I speak to, it's all sort of family has a horse or uh, they got into racing because their granddad goes all the time, et cetera, et cetera. Or they watch the, the Grand National every year, like you say. Um, and I definitely think it's either big meetings or word for mouth. And I think it's very rare that people get into the sport without that. Yeah, I think it's the um, the well discussed racing bug that everyone uh, that everyone always always talks about. It's, it's hard to explain, but from someone that, as I said, I, I mean, I watched all the Grand Nationals growing up, but as I said, not really until fifteen did I ever actually give racing much attention. But as soon as you catch that racing bug, personally. I just wanted to learn and learn and learn. And, and I still am, as, as all of us are. As you said, it's such a complicated sport to get your head around. But it's so interesting. And it's just this, this one big puzzle that's in front of you. A, a race is a big puzzle when you're trying to pick it apart and work it out. And I think that's the, that's the sort of sport. And it can be such an appealing sport to young people. If yeah. marketed correctly and, and across correctly. Well, it, it's, it's bragging rights, I think. If, if you... What yeah. at home where you're going to a track and you've got four of your friends there you're all on a different horse but you win you then feel Mr Big Bollocks for the next half an hour <laughs> um, and I think that's it's, it's sort of that bragging rights feel that yeah I can I think that's, that's how a lot of people get into it properly is when you go I'm going to pick the winner of this and I do think that stems from the big meetings like the Grand National yeah yeah, I, I agree with Joe in terms of in terms of the puzzle. I think I think that's almost what what I like most about about sport. Like, like I said, I'm 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 mad on all my sport really in general. I, you know, I'm, I'm blessed that I work for a football club uh, really as my day job, and then the, the racing freelance stuff's kind of on the side. Uh, and but with with a with a football match, I guess there's three possible outcomes: you win, you lose, or you draw. Mm. And most of the time, you know, like if you were to watch Liverpool, ninety-nine percent of the time, you know they're gonna win. With racing, not all the time. Well, not quite. Don't get me going on Liverpool. Oh, let's not start with that. But with but with a uh, but with, with racing, you've got, you know, on a big Saturday meeting, you know, the the ones in the summer where like Northumberland Plate Day, uh, uh, 
you know, when there's a meeting at Chester as well and the Super Saturday meeting at Ascot and you might have the end of the July festival thrown in there, you might end up being eight or nine meetings on a day. You've got 57 puzzles to have a crack at solving. Exactly. And there are, and there's all more than, you know, free outcomes to them. And that's, and that's what I like. You've got, you've got all this evidence that already exists up and you've got to try and pick which parts of it you think are relevant to what's going to happen on the day and which parts of it to ignore. And then there's, I think that's part of the reason why I like races like the Grand National and the Supreme so much is because there's the element of unknown there as well. You know, a, a little bit of, you've got all this evidence, but there's still a little bit that is completely, completely different to everything else. And that, for me, I think that's what, that's what kind of drew me into the sport. Uh, but it was a horses for you first, Kay. Yes, I mean, um, I, I'm purely like you know, I, I do bet and stuff, but I, I just love the animals itself. I love the stories. I, I've really gotten into bloodstock. I just think that's a, you know, there's a whole different angle to the bloodstock side of things, and um, I really think there's loads of opportunities for fans to sort of understand the sport more and get into it more by visiting all the stud farms. I mean, I went to Jubmont, um, Darley, Cheveley Park, and you just learn so much about the animals themselves. I mean, it is a unique sport because we do have these animals. I mean, most other sports except greyhound racing, you know, it's obviously human. Um, so as, as someone said earlier, you know, the whole element of surprise is because of these animals. I mean, you just look at horses like Mad Moose. <laughs> you know, that's why we love the sport or we get frustrated with it because we don't really understand sort of what they're thinking sometimes, you know, if they're having an off day. It's, it's just fascinating, I think. I'm glad you've brought the bloodstock side of it up, Kitty, because as someone who's not, I say, who's got no background in the sport and I've kind of had to, you know, graph my way up from scratch, really, to... To, uh, to be lucky enough to have the opportunities I have been doing. I still kind of find the bloodstock side of it the least accessible in terms of from someone who's not in, who's not, you know, been brought up around horses or, or with it being a topic of discussion within the family. How could I, how would I be able to find out whether I should expect a sire to be a, you know, a speed influence you know, or to produce a good crop of first two-year-olds. And that, to me, I think that's one thing that I think the sport could maybe make a little bit more accessible. Although, again, it's one of the things where if you're interested in bloodstock, you're already interested in the sport. And I'm not sure how many how many new fans it would attract having the breeding side of it a little bit simpler. I mean, it's just really interesting because from a bloodstock side, there's obviously the scientific side, sort of getting your mare covered, checking she's in foal. Then there's obviously, you know, a huge sort of financial side, looking at tassels and all these multi-million pound yearlings. But um, I think with bloodstock, what I started doing was just by reading everything I could get my hands on. I mean, Weatherbees have, you know, I quite like sort of buying books, collecting them. I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd that way, but... um. I just I bought myself the Weatherby Stallions book. I mean, it's probably about fifty quid. It's a bit pricey, but it's just got all the stallions listed under Weatherby. It's got, you know, who the who the sort of sires are, who they've sired, and I find I find sort of just 
you recognize a name or two and then you see oh he's sired by that horse or you know such and such and it's like a bit of a puzzle really it starts sort of it starts coming together when you see these names and then you see oh that horse is sired by you know whoever it, it is like a puzzle I think um but I I find it quite fun so I would recommend oh, I love it I've, I'd it, it sounds so weird but I I I actually probably like the the bloodstock and the and the breeding side of it, and the whole, you know, these these families that go back, you know, almost centuries. That that's almost the side of the flat racing I I enjoy most, you know, in a weird way. The thing I like most about the flat racing isn't isn't the actual racing; it's the it's the whole breeding side of it. But I I I do find that fascinating. I think that's a that's, that's it's 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 something I think. Maybe as a sport we could focus on a little bit more in terms. Of, I guess we have the Bloodstock show on on Sky Sports, and I, I think the, the Racing Post just have brought a Bloodstock podcast out, haven't they, Josh? Yeah, they have. I think Ash White and uh, uh, Ash and Kitty. Do you know? Yeah, Ash and um... <laughs> oh. I'm having a, I'm having a. Hopefully, bit of... he doesn't listen to this. Um, yeah, there's been a couple out, and um, they're really worth watching. Um, I think Andrew Scott's did a couple as well, Scottsy. Um, but yeah, they're really good. They're good to have just watch through and sort of pick stuff up, as it were. Okay, yeah. the stock side of it, getting into the bloodstock side of it. Um, as I said, personally, I, I mean, I've really only been passionately into the sport for, for about five years. So it didn't have much of an, an appeal to me for the, the previous few years. But now it's getting to the stage where the horses that I watched when I was getting into racing you know, we're starting to see, see their, you know, their two-year-olds and, and yeah, yeah. they're the now, so you kind of watch them go, oh, it's like a little ditty version of, you know, whatever whatever horse I, I watched a few years ago, and that's a lot more exciting, because it's like their legacy's kind of living on, and the exactly. word about flat racing, as I'm sure quite a lot of people will agree with, is that you don't see enough of them, they're gone quickly. Mm. Yeah. The reason for that, because the financial side of, of the stock is far greater than the, the racing side of it on the flat but it's so good right. getting to see yeah. the, the younger, younger versions coming through we'll move away from bloodstock then and, and I'll, I'll come to josh first with this mate uh what would you say at the minute are the biggest challenges facing racing that's a huge question uh, <laughs> i think one of the main challenges and, and I'm going to sort of talk about this. Obviously, there's, there's lots of different challenges at the moment. But the main one that I think at the moment is getting young people in. It's securing the longevity of the sport. Um, I, I've i been involved in racing for seven or eight years. And I've noticed, I have noticed recently that there's a, a, a hunger for racing. I think modern times and everything going on, is going so far into the future and so i don't know futuristic whatever and racing when you put on a suit you go to the races it's almost like going back in time um you have drinks with your family mm. you're like a, a lot of my friends use racing that they're, they're three times a year as an excuse to put on the suit they don't do it often it's like <laughs> you can you can really sort of make yourself look a bit glamorous um and like I went to Warwick on New Year's Eve uh, this year and it, I'm lucky to have Warwick on my doorstep when I'm back home and we always go it's just a, a annual thing 
um, and they had to turn 400 people away. It was that busy. Um, oh. Everyone there was young. It was just absolutely bouncing. And I thought I sort of looked around, and that's the only time that I've looked around. Because obviously, you go to you go to the big meetings like Ascot, Aintree, and Cheltenham, and you expect crowds like that. But when you're at a small track like Warwick, on obviously it's New Year's Eve, but you're sort of looking around, and and everyone's enjoying the racing, and you sort of think, if 10% of these people that are here for pretty much just drinking and, and the day out like racing then that's a huge success i think the big challenge racing has is getting those one-off racing race goers to then become mm. avid racing fans i think that's the most difficult thing um i think it's almost a near enough impossible task i think it's you can do a, a small section of it but getting a huge huge percentage is a huge success um i'd like to bring up invades um me and joe were talking about this earlier and he's got a few things to say on it as well and obviously that's sort of a invade if you didn't know was a university um the, the lad that does it got uni students to go racing across the uk he's had thousands and thousands of students go racing enjoy the day out everyone seems to get extremely intoxicated and have a good time um and i think it's great because you're getting young people through the door that might not necessarily go racing and they're doing it in friends as well so they might in the future go with those friends um i think the downside is they're probably just there for the drink um but like i said even if you can convert 10 percent of that hundred thousand that went to the invades last year i don't know exact numbers but then that's ten thousand more young people that are getting into racing just that one year through that one source of introduction um i i just just think it's getting young people in yeah i just mm. followed up there on josh's point on the invades thing i um i never went to one myself when i was at university but i've got a few few friends uh that have, that have been to some of the organized events and and he was saying you had you know coaches loads of young people going thousands of people going it was 28 pound for travel uh he goes to nottingham university so it was at utops to the races 28 pound for the ticket and the travel there and back and as josh was saying it for uni students especially to you know get together as mates dress up smart a bit considering you uni students you know you usually see each other in in jobs <laughs> you know dressing up a little bit and going out and and having a few drinks and i i did actually want to see it get bad publicity for almost promoting sort of like the rowdy drinking culture but I think in some sense racing has to embrace that because it's quite a rarity for a sport to attract so many people that don't know anything about the sport purely because it's such a great day out. You, you won't get that with football, you won't get that with rugby or, or whatever. So mm. I think it's something that racing needs to embrace, needs to monitor obviously because it can't just turn into an absolute riot every single time. But I think it's a really good thing that these people are going and they don't know anything about the sport. And I just think if you get them up close to the parade ring and you can't marvel at the animals that, you know, we're watching, that they're, they're, they're incredible, incredible beasts, aren't they? So yeah. watching them and being there with your friends, it, it's, it's bound to get you, you hooked. And if they can get a little bit of the racing bug, then it's, it's job done, isn't it, really? I think it's interesting that you say football. Let's say you take two people that have no idea about football or racing. You take one to a football match. It's very simple. You've got two goals at the end of the pitch and you've got basically the opposition just has to put it in the back of the net. Yeah. Um, whether we're racing, you go for the first time and it's absolute Swahili. No idea what's <laughs> going on. Um, 
And I think it's obviously two very difficult things. So just getting people there is success in itself. And then it's down to the race course. And I think racing people when you're there, like I see, I've been to courses where invade students have been there. They've been enjoying themselves and you have sort of the traditional racing folk looking at them and maybe even saying things to them that is sort of dampening their day because it's not the traditional racing feel. Um, I think racing traditionalists needs to go away from that. I think they need to embrace it, like Joe say. Joe says, and I don't know. It's a, it's a what are the big problems in racing is is a huge huge question. Um, I think we could be talking about this all day. Yeah, I'll I'll I'll, I'll come to you uh, back with that, Josh, about about the thing you, uh, you said about racing being Swahili, and it it really is. I, I was thinking about this myself last night about how so many words and phrases we use that are just so common to us. Make will make no sense to someone with no context behind it. And I can I can make a prime example of that, Lewis. I remember when we first started recording this podcast, someone sat in it at our room from uni who didn't know anything about racing, and I said the phrase that horse will be more streetwise this time next time out, and he didn't have a look to me, and he's picked on it every time I talk about racing to him. He he mentions will it be streetwise? Now there's, there's phrases like that that people won't, won't even have a clue about. But now that I think times are changing because people listen to more podcasts than ever and stuff like this. There's loads of horse racing podcasts out now. And I, I think the fact that the younger generation are doing more things via technology, I think that'll help gain more younger followers. But no, I, do you think, though, no, Jim? Because surely, no, I don't think anyone is. People who are listening to racing podcasts are doing so because they like racing. I don't think necessarily. How? No, surely sure you've got to have some sort of an interest in it. I, I, I think the point Josh was saying was, if if we can inform people a little bit more about about what they're watching and put it into context, that might be a little bit more helpful as to as to keeping them there rather than and generating a, a longer term interest rather than it being a single day out from. Like I give you an example when. When my uncle was stationed out in America, I went where we went out to watch, uh, to watch an ice hockey game out there, uh, and I, I found it a bit more enjoyable because I, I went and I knew what position each team were in league that it was a third third tier game, you know, and it were it it, it just gives a little bit more background and context to it. If, if I was to say to my mum that horse is running over two miles on the flat, she wouldn't know whether that was long distance or short distance. She wouldn't know whether a class five was good or you know was good or below average, and if 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 I guess if those terms are a little bit more explainable, maybe in amongst the race cards, you know, because we have I, I know it'll say you know this is for horses between naught to eighty. Again, they don't know what that means. For me, I I think putting a little bit more context in terms of what what the day outers are watching might go some way to to keeping a couple more of them there and because then they have something to compare it to the next time they're at the races yeah the the language of, of racing is always going to be somewhat of its downfall because if you if you think about it you really do have to explain it as you were saying if you're saying the first thing to someone right we'll watch this race it's over two mile two furlong 
what the hell's a furlong? Yeah. Yeah. So straight from the get-go, right at the very, very top of the racing post, you're looking at that and you're thinking, what does that mean if you're not into racing? And then you were talking about the classes. Have you ever tried to explain like classes to someone in terms of ranking racing? Yeah. Class seven. Uh, on the very rare cases, class seven. But in class one, you've got listed. And that's not as good as class one, but it's a class one. But it's better than a class two. But in some cases, it's not better than a class two because good handicaps that are better than that. <laughs> And then you've got a class one, grade three. And it's just, it's, it is very, very confusing to get your head around. And you'd have to have a big change in sort of the, the structure of, of racing for that to actually be simplified. And I don't think that will happen, unfortunately. So... I think the language part of it's there to stay. No, it, 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 it works. It works perfectly within the sport. I think it wouldn't be something I'd I'd ever look to change. But I, I I do think it is it is a it is a barrier. If if probably just a smaller one to be fair, then the that just kind of stops some people from initially the initial understanding of what they're watching. Uh, Kitty, would there any would there be anything you'd like to? Uh, bring up regarding issues within the sport that you think as a generation we might be able to deal with a little bit better and, and rectify? Well, I personally think given sort of the movement of animal welfare being on the rise, I'm not I'm not going to go into the whip, don't worry. Um, that's been discussed plenty of times. Um, I just think the sheer numbers... You know, I think welfare in terms of what happens to a horse, you know, before, during and after his racing career. I mean, so many horses are bred across the world in their thousands, let alone Britain. A good deal, a good number of them don't don't make the track. Where do they go? Plenty yeah. of them retire, not stud. Where do they go? I think there is a big sort of black hole that needs unveiling and if we are to attract more people, because I just, you know, I think people are rightly so more concerned about animal welfare. And it's just, it's just a very sort of secretive part of the sport, which I think should, should be addressed and should be looked at more because it's a big concern. I think it could be, it could be a big story if something, you know, something happens. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you've brought the welfare side of it up. I've, Oh, well, hopefully by the end of the week I'll have finished uh, my dissertation, which is on uh, public perception of, of equine welfare in racing. And there's obviously been really high-profile events uh, over the past year, really, with, I guess, Taylor Swift pulling out of the Melbourne Cup. Didn't look good for us. Uh, and then you also have the sort of, I guess, the highest-profile equine fatality of the last year was probably Sir Eric who uh, in the triumph which I know people will say the Gold Cup's the biggest race on Gold Cup Day for the once a year fans the biggest race is the race Sky better give him a free 20 quid for so he's, he's, he's the hot favourite in the race that more of my friends well the most of my friends cared about more than any other on the day and you see that it's a horrendous horrendous incident that's what, and, yeah, and we have to try and contextualise as to why it's fatal because you'll still see all all the comments. I've you know I've I've had a look at 
newspaper comments on on articles about Cyrillic's death, and all the time it is because he can't race any, you know, because he can't race anymore, or because the owners are greedy, and the fact that he was reshot as well as led, well, they shouldn't have ran him, and even though. You know, I spoke to Robin Mounsey, BHA's head of PR on this. I spoke to Emmett Kennedy, who was covering the day for Broughter for TalkSport. They all said, they all thought the coverage from the BHA, they had uh, the chief equine officer out on ITV uh, explaining the the process of why Sir Eric's injury was fatal and as to and as to why the whole reshotting process would have uh, played no part in his injury. And yet all... All the comments are there saying this horse hasn't, this horse shouldn't have run. This horse was already clearly injured. This horse uh, was killed because of greed. And you look at that and you say, we can't do any more. And it's uh, it, it's it almost hurts to think that for people as a sport where where we've got something such an emotive topic that. Really, the fallout from from our authorities surrounding the death of Sir Eric and how it was covered was pretty much as good as it could have been uh, in terms of putting it into simple terms and then explaining it and explaining why. And we and they come to it and we still get more people than not criticizing us. But well, I, I understand that. There. For people that watch racing once a year, they tune into the Cheltenham Festival, they've seen a short price favourite that everyone's calling a banker. Um, I, I'm not sure what happened before. I think they had to renew the horseshoe or something like that. Um, yeah. And so obviously there's attention on the horse before it's ran. And then there's more attention before it's ran because they have to do all this before and the cameras are zooming on, zooming in on this one horse. And rightfully so, because he is the star attraction. Yes, exactly. Um, and when stuff like that happens... Racing will just have to bite the bullet. There's nothing we can do about it. You've got 10 million people tuning into Cheltenham that day, and you're going to have to expect 9.8 of those to have no clue about racing, and they're going to have opinions straight away, and they're not going to change that opinion if someone comes on TV and says this is why it happened. Um, they've just watched. I would, that was the worst day I've ever had on a race course. Um, and even as a racing fan, I think I left after the Gold Cup. I didn't want to be there. And it's... But unfortunately, that's nothing we can do. We can't... Like, like football, for instance, there's examples in football where a player might go into a tackle extremely hard and that might cause the other player to be out for a year. And the anger is towards the player that's done it. And unfortunately, as the anger in that situation is towards the owners, towards racing people, because we technically condone this, etc. And we say, oh, this happens every now and again, and there's nothing really we can do about it. Um, but that's just uneducated racing people. Um, and there's nothing we can do about it. But I, I, I did want to move on to social media. I think social media has got a huge part to play in growing anything. And especially in the sense that you might go onto Twitter and you'll see Mo Salah trending. Um, and it's usually because he scored a goal for Liverpool or done something outrageous. 
and on the big meetings you have the big horses trending and stuff like that and it sort of exposes racing a little bit more because if something's on that trending page a hundred thousand people might click on it click on it that are just simply interested to seeing what's happening um and racing social media as we all know is an extremely toxic place um, <laughs> it's very rare that that you don't see something day to day that is calling someone out or, or et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I don't think the big companies help racing social media either. Um, I'm talking RMG. Um, the fact that you're not really able to, to record a video on, on, on a race course makes life to makes life attracting people very, very difficult. Yeah. Um, and I know we've had similar problems with that with Millennium Racing Club. Joe's probably got more context with that. Well, yeah, just in general, I, I, it, it really blows my mind that it's there's a massive discussion and obviously we're having a podcast on it now, how to get young people into the sport. But the people that run the sport won't allow you to post videos, you know, of you even just being there, of, of, the, of the race. Like it, It's something that, that just completely, completely baffles me because the atmosphere when you're at the races, you know, if you get your phone out and you want to capture that, then... Well, you want to capture that and you want to share that but if you can't do that then how are people how are race goers meant to say oh, i had a great time at the races look at that or whatever when you you know people are biting down on you you quick really quickly about it all the time i mean yeah i was in the I was in the parade ring um when we've been with with millennium racing club obviously we've had to just kind of tell the people there don't you know, just because the guidelines are so iffy as well they're so blurred mm. you know we don't want to tread on anyone's feet so we're like right you're having this amazing experience you're in the, the parade ring at, at Sandown on Tingle Creek Day don't capture it on your phone <laughs> how, how is that meant to translate how is that meant to like get people into the sport it, it, yeah it's confusing but even when big profile celebrities go racing like they often do imagine if I don't know an A-lister just put a video up of them at Sandown on Tingle Creek Day enjoying the time with the racing on might not have to be a video of the races but if you think about how many people would could see that video and go oh, i'd quite like to go racing it's something i've never done that is just shooting ourselves in the foot um and it means that no matter how big your audience is with racing or, or doing anything else you can't really attract too many people through video and through visualization and that is very very difficult yeah, ultimately the only photos you see of, of people going to the races is them all dressed up smartly and everything, and then mm. you know racing off that will just get an image of just being a bit pompous and, and big for itself, and that's not really that's not what racing is. It's it's the atmosphere when you're there. It's the, the love of the sport and the love of the animals. But if you, you can't translate that onto social media because you know the big dogs of the, of the sport aren't letting you, then I think that that's immediately that's an obvious obvious issue. Yeah, I, I agree. It's 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 a. I don't understand what what what's to gain for RNG for it. I, I know they pay a lot of money for rights and that, but but like like yourselves with with Millennium Racing Club, it just it seems to me the, 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 the I can't come up with a valid reason as to why why you shouldn't be allowed to you know film your own horse in the parade ring. It's absolutely insane. Uh, it came it came through. We got an email from. Um the racehorse syndicate association um 
and it was from Dan Abraham, who I believe is the the chair of Foxtrot Racing. Um, I think they own like Hogan's Height and everything, and and I think it was them that were initially sort of told off in that big fiasco. So a, any person involved in with the RSA got a an email just saying look the, the the laws on it are very very blurred but it's better just to avoid any sort of any sort of problem and just take a photo whatever but don't go recording it all and everything so yeah it's a tricky one it's a tricky one to explain and it, it's a tricky one to justify and people ask the question you know what what can you do what can we do to, to make racing better and you know I sometimes feel no one's pointing up no one's pointing at the people that are, have got the power around the sport to, to do anything. So, but yeah. how often do you see like a clip on Twitter or YouTube of someone recording a last-minute goal yeah. in a game? <laughs> yeah, and the crowd the time, mental. And the amount of times I've seen one of those videos and go, "Oh, you know what? I'd love to go to United next week," and then end up paying money to go and watch them play just because you've seen that one video and you you go, "Oh." I miss this. That could work with racing. And I suppose what I would like to get all of your opinions on is is the main sort of person that does video for racing, racing blogger, he records himself. Do you think that's sustainable long-term where you can just record yourself and not, not racing? Is, an, is he attracting... What would he be attracting by doing that? What would blogger? What's what's he attracting? Yeah, well, obviously, because if you're watching one of bloggers' videos and and you've never seen a race before, but you're seeing someone react to a race, is that beneficial to the sport, or is it? I I find that really interesting. I personally think it's quite beneficial. Um, he's almost used now as like. I don't, he's sort of, people know who he is. So you, I, I've walked past him many times at Cheltenham this year and people will shout, blogger, blogger. They all know who he is. And I think him videoing himself for the sport is a good thing in the long term because people want to go to the race course to meet him because he's yeah. almost like, he's, he's almost like a celebrity now. He's, it, it, but he's a celebrity in our circle, Jim. 99 out of 100 people on the street don't know who Racing Blogger is and no one is going to the Cheltenham Festival for the chance to meet Racing Blogger. But most of the people on Twitter see his videos and go, oh, that's Racing Blogger. And then if they saw him in person, they go, oh, Racing Blogger, we might see him today, he might be here. Yeah. I just Uh, think, imagine imagine if someone like that who's got the audience that he has was able to record bits and bobs of a race day as well. Correct. Yeah, that you do it side will by side. Him reacting on one change side. everything. It will change everything, and people will be so much more interested because at the moment you're seeing him react to a race. You've got no idea if you're not a racing fan what happened in that race. You've got no clue, and you don't know if he's overreacting, what he's doing. You just know that there's a man on the end of a selfie stick going absolutely berserk. <laughs> yeah. And I, I enjoy it. I do think that they're, they're brilliant and. I just wish big race course like the RMG would do something about the video stuff and it would definitely, definitely, definitely help, like we go back earlier, keeping that 10% in or even increasing that percentage. 
Yeah, they, 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 they need to work with us rather than against us. And and like you said, blogger, bloggers' content isn't isn't particularly for me. But I I think what I think he's on the bay, on the whole good for the sport. You know, it's if if you see a man being excited about something, you know, it shows it to be exciting in 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 pretty simple terms. To be fair, uh, and again, like I say, it, it's. We, we, as a sport, I think we are quite good at shooting ourselves in the foot fairly often. And I think we have been a little bit slower than others to embrace social media. I think we're getting better. Yeah. There's a real community, I think, being built with racing and racing social media, and I think it's growing every day. Sorry. No, you're, no, you're right, Josh. What do you think about social media and racing blogger and the whole rights thing um well i don't mind blogger i mean he's not necessarily for me i mean i sort of prefer sort of you know look at the trainers and the people actually in the sport i mean i understand it's all difficult with, um rights and stuff but i think it's a very powerful tool i mean if you just look at sort of you know like the racing post we do stable tours and we get get up and close to these horses at their yards i mean you know, you can get behind scenes where once wasn't really possible. Um, so I think it's very powerful in that respect. I mean, obviously, it's quite, you know, social media itself, I think it can be a bit toxic. Um, but I think in the right way, it's very powerful. Um, so I'd be in, in favour for it, really. I think something that I'd like to see a bit more from in, in racing on social media would be explanations as to why the issues uh that we face, like I say, specifically regarding to welfare, where you know people who think the whip is cruel, people who don't understand as to why a, a broken leg is fatal for a horse. But um, the BHA, uh, sorry to interrupt, they um, released a number of videos a few weeks yeah. back. Just yeah, Tom Scoo, yeah. Like what? Yeah, Tom Scoo, a leading vet, explains what happens when a horse falls. Do they like racing? What happens to horse after retirement? And they're playing all on the big screens. I think. I think they were at Cheltenham as well. But um, those are really, really good. They're very clear, concise, and you know, I think a lot of people would watch them. And I think even more watch them because they were put on Twitter and and the like. So I think yeah. that's a great sort of initiative by the BHA. Can I just play devil's advocate on those videos for a second? Mm. Um, I think I, I, I watch them, and obviously they get they do get. A, off brilliantly and obviously they do get paid at race courses and, and whatnot but they i don't think they really caught caught my eye like if i if i yeah. was a racing fan and i was at the race course and that video was playing on the big screen i wouldn't look up and pay attention to it yeah yeah it got the information across concisely and well and and you know that's brilliant but I don't know why, but I was watching it. I was like, I think the only people probably watching these are people that already like racing. Yes. Yeah. And not the people that need to be watching these. Um, so, I mean, I, I think they're definitely down the right path with it, with, with those sort of videos. And I think we do need to see a bit of a bit more of them. But I mean, I, I don't, I don't have the answers, <laughs> the answers to that. But I, yeah, I don't know. I, I thought a bit more could have been done on that. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. Because um, I retweeted one of them saying I thought they were really informative, but I thought they just needed a bit more character to them. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then I remember I had a serious Twitter rant with someone over like 
well, the, the facts aren't right. And to, so to certain people, they were misleading, I think, in racing because they weren't as explained as thoroughly as people in racing wanted them to be. They mm. sort of tried to keep them as basic as possible for non-racing fans. And I think that's quite that's hard. With, it's quite hard of horse, like, you know, explaining sort of why horses can't survive when they've broken their legs. I mean, that's that's very sort of quite scientific stuff. So I think trying to explain that fully in a two-minute video is quite hard. But, um, yeah, no, I get that. Um, and, 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 and to be fair, trying to jazz up a video of why a horse, you know, needs yeah. to when it's broke his leg is probably a bit untoward as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it does have to be quite quite straightforward and almost I don't want to use it like maybe not quite clinical, but it, it we, I guess we can't really be be fannying around with with explanation videos like that. Mm-hmm. I, I I do think uh, regarding the whole scenario though that. I do think it as as racing people as well we have a tendency to overestimate how much people outside the sport care mm. especially regarding the whip I agree I mean fu- fundamentally like in my family are horsey my mum's ridden all her life she she'll go to she'll go to flat races she won't she won't go to watch jumps because she just can't bear to see them fall i mean she's got no issue with the whip i mean but it's the falls which are the problem like obviously we know horses fall and all that but i think i think the whip whilst it's you know we do need to be careful i don't think it's the biggest issue compared to sort of i don't know something like welfare you know where do these horses go when they've retired i think that's a much more pressing issue in my opinion but i you know I don't mean to sort of contradict anyone. No, I I, I agree with you, Keith. I, I think we we it comes around every year the whip debate, doesn't it? And a uh, a lot of a lot of coverage tends to tends to be given to it every, every time it comes around. And I guess yeah. th- there will always be every season. There's at least one or two high profile instances where you know a jockey has won a, yeah. high, a high profile Saturday race. And broken the whip rules in doing so, and then we get back to the debate around should, should you know should they be thrown out, etc. You know it's 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 repetitive and it's a bit boring now. But for the people who are on who are on the fence of on the side of the fence that the sport would have things to gain in terms of attracting new people in with whipless racing, people who aren't comfortable with use of the whip. But they feel they might be doing so with a whipless racing. The, the statistics just prove the exact opposite. People don't particularly care enough. If if you were to ask a man in the street, do you like you know, do you like horses getting whipped? They might say no. Do they have enough opinion on it to change, you know, to make their views on the entire sport any different? Not really. And then as soon as we take away the whip then it's like uh like people have said does that lead to people questioning then the, the jumps you know it's it, it, i think it could be a slippery slope to go down and i, I do think it's something that with racing people the, the longer we have the whip on our on our front pages or back pages of the sport of you know national newspapers talking about the whip debate 
is a longer way of getting into the public's head that there's an issue with something that really there isn't an issue with at all, in my opinion. I mean, I, I yeah, I, I completely agree. I don't think that we should be talking about changing our sports. I think we should be talking about changing the, the mindset. Yeah, I, I agree. Because ultimately, our sport is brilliant and it works, and welfare is improved tenfold. And I'm not sure if any of you have ever ever held a whip, but mm. you know it, it, they it, don't hurt. They, they don't, don't hurt. hurt. No, they don't. We can get out in the streets, and uh, not literally get out in the streets, obviously, but you know, trying to get that information across, trying to get people to actually hold a whip and see a whip, and you know, at Cheltenham this year. I mean, I think there was only, I say only, obviously, in an ideal world, all horses could return to their stables, but I think there was only one fatality, wasn't there? Yeah. And yeah. if you think about all of the horses that actually went out, you know, over the over the four days, yeah. the amount of them that came back, there isn't as big a welfare problem in racing as it made out, I personally think. So I don't think we need to be thinking about removing the whip or, you know, lowering how many times you can... can usual whip or you know taking out jumps racing as an absolute extreme measure which i'd be absolutely devastated with i think it's just a matter of talking about the mindset that people have towards racing well yeah i think we've got to get feedback you know we've got to take on sort of feedback and criticism from those who are informed rather than those who sort of scream and shout and sort of get hysterical i mean if you just look at animal aid i mean i think i think the owner i think the head of animal aid you know he doesn't know anything about racing. He doesn't know anything about looking after horses, but they still spew sort of this ghastly material around. We shouldn't be listening to people who can't even get the facts right. Um, it was like if you saw on Twitter earlier, like Peter went absolutely mad about the fact that virtual horses fell in. <laughs> it's just like, really? You know, there's like you know, it's, it's like you know, there's so many welfare issues for them out there, and yet they had to pick on this. I just don't think they should be any factor whatsoever in you know, welfare regulations. I do think that open days have been very positive in the idea of getting a better perception across. I went to Moulton's Moulton's open day last year on Good Friday, and that opened my eyes up completely I, I'd never even knew some of the trainers trained around there and most of my other half of my family live up there and seeing there was a lot of young children going and them just seeing a horse and seeing how well looked after they all were and how the routine that they all get put in I think that's a massive help to changing the perception of how they are looked after behind the scenes Yeah, yeah. I think all these open days and sort of stud tours and whatnot they're you know they are really the way forward i mean you get to see just exactly what happens behind the doors because i think people do worry about well not worry but they are curious about behind the scenes and it's something i i'm you know i think is really important yeah entirely because because we're all educated on the spot we're all comfortable with it because because we know about about how much care goes into it and as and as to why when things go wrong why they do go wrong i i think it's i think just a little bit more look i guess you, you can't force people to learn learn more about a topic that they're not 
ever really going to be interested in. Yeah. But I do think it's I do think it's key, especially with us in racing like last up, up until last year after after the Grand National, uh, when when we lost up for review, and I was having to you know defend the sport on Twitter from from some some people whose whose tweets had got huge traction, you know, twenty k likes, yeah. with blatant misinformation. You know, I think I think there was a photo going around before of uh, up for review. He had blood in his mouth, and people uh, people saying that, that that was a sign he was mistreated or that he was scared, not that he just bit his tongue as horses do sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. And it was due to that as well. I I realise that I've I've been a racing fan now for for over a decade. I've been lucky. I've I've to be, you know, working part time in the sport really since I was sixteen. And and I, we're at that stage where I'd kind of realised, even as a huge racing fan and someone who who was, you know, working in the sport, that I couldn't really explain in in layman's terms to a non racing fan as to why. As to why a fatal injury could occur, and I, I think as 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 a sport, I think we need to be a little bit more proactive in almost educating ourselves. If if we're going to be able to defend the sport, we have to know exactly how we can defend it. If people throw these accusations at us, we have to have our rebuttals and our defences there fully. And I I I was a little bit ashamed that really after you know after a decade of of being a racing fan, I was still kind of not hugely confident on being able to explain as to why a, you know, a broken leg or a broken shoulder would be fatal. And that really should be a tool we all, we all have in our arsenal. So when someone says racing's cruel, that horse is being put down because it can't race anymore and its owners are greedy, then we're fully equipped to say, no, unfortunately, it's a shame, but this is, this is why. Mm. Do you understand where I'm coming from? Yeah. If I was looked after 20% as good as a racehorse, I would be a very happy man. Yeah. Um, and I think that's important to get across too. I think if you've ever been to a stable before, you'll know that it's it's literally the perfect place for a horse, isn't it? They're, yeah. they're fed, they're looked after. They do their exercise and, and that's that. And then until they go on course, they're not really put under much, much strain. Um, and it's ridiculous. The first time I went to a stable, I think I was about 14. And I just, my perception of racing then changed massively because you go, these horses are literally the most looked after. Like McCoy said his dream job would to be a, a stallion. Yeah. <laughs> because he all his day-to-day job is for supermodel horses to come in and he's just got to do the business. Um, and little things like that, I think, go a long way. I, I also, just touching on that Grand National thing, there are, uh, obviously, because people tune into that and people are always, you know, when you see these tweets getting ridiculous amounts of traction. But there is only so much racing on Twitter and people in racing can do because I swear it's the same photo I see. Yeah, I agree. Same one of Dooney's Gate in two thousand. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've got to remember like, that. Um, oh, sorry. Oh well, no, I'll just say it. it's just that it's that same image. Like, 
a horse has died at the Aintree Grand National when they <laughs> Grand National, they, they died in one of the races the day before. And it's the same photo of Dooney's Gate. And I'm looking at people thinking, you must have retweeted this four years in a row. <laughs> same horses are having these exact same falls. But there's only so much really that we can do in terms of actually getting the point across about horse welfare and horse safety because people just somehow will not learn sometimes. It's, it's, sorry, go on, Kitta. No, I just want to say that, you know, Twitter, it's very easy to get lured into Twitter, but it's not real life. You know, it's a bit like, I don't know, if there's an upcoming election and you think, oh, it's definitely going to go one way because you're continually reading Twitter and then it actually goes the other way. I mean, yeah. it's, it's not real life. It's not, you know, a lot of people aren't on it. And I think sometimes we can get too concerned about what people on social media will think. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Because two, in, in two weeks' time, are they going to care? The vast majority of the 20,000 who have liked an anti-racing tweet the day after the Grand National, in a fortnight's time, it's gone from their mind. They'll probably end up at York in the summer for a day out, to be honest. Are, yeah. <laughs> no, you're not wrong, mate. You are not wrong. It, 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 it does... It does... I think it does illustrate though what sometimes we are up against because the, the most vis- visible parts of racing, a horse falling, you can't pretend that that's not happened. Uh, you know, you don't need to be well versed in racing to see a horse be hit by a whip, which really we shouldn't be calling a whip anyway. We'll call it like Emmett Kennedy has uh, done the advocating for, we'll call it the pro cush. But and they're visible things you don't need to have any background in racing to understand what has happened there. Whereas to understand as to as to why these things happen and as to why they're, I guess, with a horse falling, not necessary, but why the whip is a necessary tool, it takes a little bit more education and reading and a little bit more experience of the sport. So we're already on the back foot because the the black and white version of events looks a lot worse than it really is. And mm. it's it comes to, I guess, the media coverage. Like I, was, I was having a look at, a, at just a mainstream newspaper. It might have been the Mirror or some covering album photo winning the Cheltenham Gold Cup uh, last week. And they, they talked to Peter in it. No joke. I, I, wow. I'm not... <laughs> I, I have I have no reason I have no explanation why they, they, they were talking about the fatal injury the day before but I, 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 I read it and I was just almost despairing when I'm thinking we, we've, we've had such a good day of sport back to back Cheltenham Festival victory you know the drama with Goshen and yet they still actually gave as many inches in the column to anti-racing bodies spewing general nonsense to be fair I think about, it's, sorry go on no, you're right and, and and that's what we're up against because it's it's drama and it's and it's emotive people that, people don't like the idea of animals getting hurt and as much as as much as we say to them that that they aren't if you can run with that and con and get more clicks off you know the the potential outrage you might cause of course they're gonna and it, it, it does my head in but 
I think I think we are being a lot more proactive, like the Tom Skew videos, mm. at defending ourselves against that, especially than we were at the start of the decade when you know the the two Grand Nationals where where we lost two horses in 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 two renewals. It was it was mainstream, you know, it was mainstream BBC ITV news calls to ban the Grand National, and I don't think, fingers crossed, we will get to that stage again well, in the near future. I think, I think we've given these not so nice people enough um, enough exposure there. Um, I think I, th- I don't think we should give them any more. I think if if, if Peter were watching this, they'd probably be having a field day. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah, I think it's it's a difficult topic to talk about and it's something that racing fans are very passionate about. But it's also something that we should be very careful giving them too much exposure because we don't want thinking them we don't want them thinking they're more important than they are. No, you heads rent free. Absolutely. <laughs> I've got an idea. Um I wanted to bring up games. Um I think if there was a big racing game, it would benefit the sport. Now, you've got to hear me out here. Oh, I'm interested. I'm talking not, maybe not, obviously the audience isn't there compared to like a FIFA. But let's talk about attracting young people into the sport. One thing that the majority of young people do is play video games of some sort, whether it's a Nintendo, a PlayStation, anything like that, or even a board game. If there was a trademark racing game where people would play it and learn a bit more about racing, because I play Starters Orders. And when I first started playing that, I remember I played that when I played probably probably when it was Starters Orders 4. And I learned a lot just from playing the game. And I simply played that because it was a game I was bored, got it on my phone, learned a lot from it. I would say probably 50% of the people that play a big game like FIFA, and we're talking millions and millions of people play these games, probably don't watch football or play football regularly. Um, And I think if there was a big horse racing game with the graphics sort of a bit like the the virtual Grand National, and on the game you could learn different bits and bobs. It was advertised a lot by the sport. We try and got a copy of this we try and get a copy of this game into as many households as possible for young people to play that will benefit the sport long term because then furlongs and stuff like that becomes a bit more of a regular term yeah if if a 10 year old's playing a horse racing game and and he wants to win because everyone wants to win when they're playing games and 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 he's wants to win the big race of the day or something like that he might learn the distance of the race he might learn when about it is in the calendar stuff like that um and it can be really basic like champion jockey i used to adore that game d1 jockey yeah yeah and i learned (laughs) a lot from it and it's it's things like that that if you can get in the mainstream shops like if you had a horse racing game in say a a game shop you know the 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 classic game shops i'm not sure if d1 jockey's in there um but having a game on the shelf on the on the latest console would do racing a big big favor of getting young people in because it's what people play and yeah. people will be a lot more clued up about football and different players like it, without a game like fifa a football manager i couldn't tell you who played for rp leipzig mm. i could and but now i know half their team because i played them 
four or five times in the Europa League on career mode. And you know and the ins and outs in them of, as well, that, don't you? You know, yeah, right, you know those, the young gems that in four or five years' time will be the biggest players in the game. And usually it's quite close to real life as well. And imagine if on, on in real life, when, when you first load up the game, you do have these real horses that in four or five years' time will be winning champion hurdles, champion chases, or, or, or could go that direction. Obviously, we don't know, but could go that direction. Then there's going to be a lot more fans of those horses and a lot more fans of racing. And I would be well up for a horse racing 20 game. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea. Yeah. I think it'd be awesome. I'd play it. Definitely. And I think, like I said, if, if you can teach some people more, like even teaching young kids about your Toxeter race course and, or, or Chepstow, the fact that you've got a long downhill straight, oh, I think would be interesting. Play online with it as well. Get all your mates on it. Exactly. That's like that. Taking me on over and, to another mile. At- <laughs> and that's the type of thing that I think the older racing generation are scared of talking about. Stuff like that. I think if I brought that up with a traditional racing fan, they go, oh, I don't want to hear it. But as a new wave of racing people, this is something we should be thinking about as well. And I think when you have, whether it's an outrageous idea or when you have ideas along the lines of that, you need to, I always sort of filter who I care, uh, what opinions I care about for the idea. Um, And you will get traditional racing fans that won't like it, but they don't have to play it. And uh, and imagine if it attracted a million new racing fans in five years, something like that. And then you sort of look at those traditional racing fans and, and you've proved them wrong. And I think it's all about young people in racing sticking together and coming up with these ideas that racing hasn't been quick enough to, to, to get. And yeah, what what better place to start than a, than a game? No, it, it, it does make sense that because the only actual, it's not even a video game, the only one people play, and you know, you do like race nights at home or and they're off or whatever, all the board games, but they obviously have the connotations of being old and the older generation and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, me and you both smashed starters orders and it's a great game, but <laughs> it was it was amazing when you put that tweet out that not many people even knew about that. No idea. Uh, and I'm, I, 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 that's a brilliant game, but if, there's one that can be even better than that with better graphics, better features. And I suppose, I suppose starters orders is, is aimed at racing people. Whether yeah. if it was a game that was just generic like FIFA, but horse racing, that will obviously appeal to a larger audience and maybe an audience that might not necessarily be massively interested. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the, uh, the idea of, you know, that the traditional racing people, uh, versus the younger ones as well just i know we'll we'll, we'll see it on twitter all the time that any time anyone disagrees with us it's oh you're young you don't know what you're on about you're too you're too young to have an opinion Uh, but do you feel that that from from some some aspects of the of the older racing crowd that we are too keen to hold on to our traditions and and not quite move with the times even slight suggestions like the, the thing that comes to mind for me most is the absolute stick Maddie Playle got last year for the whole uh, 
honorifics thing. I didn't even know what the word honorifics meant, but she said, uh, may, maybe it's a little bit outdated, you know, jockeys still calling trainers Mr. So-and-so. And Jesus Christ, it will actually punch someone. I you think... Know, the, the amount of sticks she got. And do, do, do you think that sometimes, even in small small ways, we're so keen to hold on to our traditions that that more that it almost stifles more more longer term potentially bigger uh, ideas like like your one about the game from from ever coming to fruition. I think big companies are listening to young people a lot now, especially in racing. I think if you're a young person in racing, you need thick skin um, because you're going to get stick, and if you do something slightly wrong or people might go I'm not sure about that then the usually they go back to your age I wouldn't really give a toss um I think it's important to not give a toss and don't let people and and obviously listen to those older that than you that you respect and uh, and listen to what they've got to say and it's something that you can change about how you deliver something in the in the future but by no means should you disregard an idea because someone that's maybe stuck in their ways has said it's not a good idea. Um, on the Maddie point, although I disagree with the statement, I massively disagree with how people went about attacking her for her age. Um, I think racing should hold on to its tradition and and calling a trainer Mister and Mrs. I think it's it's nice, it's endearing, and it's 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 a sign of respect that racing's had throughout the whole of its time as a sport. Um, but regardless of that, if someone's saying an idea or, 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 or even just hinting that you could do something slightly different, I think it's important that you don't just shoot them down. And, and if an older person is listening to this that may, may have shot someone down, I know a lot of people that get into racing young, maybe build an audience up and then have this sort of attack on their age and then really lose the motivation to do anything more and it's if that's what an older person wants and and they want to sort of maybe damage the confidence of a younger person in racing or that it wouldn't surprise me because people not everyone has thick skin and it wouldn't surprise me if that person then never tweeted anything controversial again or never ever suggested an idea that wouldn't be accepted because of that one person being quite mean and being quite pointy to them. And if anyone else is listening to this that has done that in the past, I'd probably urge you not to, because how would you like it if you were a teenager or a young professional and, and an older person says, I don't like your way you're doing that. Stop it. You're too young. Um, I know I wouldn't like it. And so I think you really just have to be strong and, if you're a young racing fan, I, I'm so proud of what young people are doing in racing at the moment where you've got like Joe working at horseracing.net, obviously setting up the syndicate, uh, Kitty, Maddie, all at the Racing Post. It's a very young, I think, team at the Racing Post, Andrew Wilshire. Um, and then also you've got people like Luca making content online. He absolutely loves racing. Whether you like the content or not, you cannot doubt his 
absolute drive to make great racing content. You've got people making podcasts left, right and center. Um, and it's great. It's building a big online community and, and you can't really go wrong. Um, and, you, and it's building a, a, the more young people in racing, the more older people are going to listen to the young people in racing. Yeah. Spot on, mate. Spot yeah. on. Uh, coming coming back to some of racing traditions, I'll, I'll come I'll come to you with this, Kate. Do do you think there are any that might might slightly be holding holding racing attracting a, a younger, a wider audience uh, than than could be possible? Because I I I kind of I kind of see it as from someone who is from a lower socioeconomic background. You know, I'm. I, I met you know no bones, but my family are far from minted. You know, I've, Jesus Christ, I've you know I've, I didn't have a bed for four years. You know, what I mean, I'm not I'm not from a well-off background at all. Yeah. And and sometimes I I kind of see that as a as a as a young person from not the most well-off background. Well, far from it. Is that? Sometimes I, I think you can feel a little bit out of place. Sometimes I, like, especially when I was a bit younger and I was still kind of like trying to knock on the door and, and get involved. It's almost, almost as if the old, the old habitus of the place was telling me, this isn't for you. And really, it, it comes back to the perception that, it's, that racing is only a spot for posh people, which it isn't. You'll see on every single article, criticising Cheltenham for the whole coronavirus thing, that, that that people underneath will be saying it only went ahead because rich people wanted it to. No, it didn't. There are more people like me who were down in Cheltenham yeah. than there were minted people. And it's, but it is it is one of the things where I do feel like it's it's the least, certainly a lot less accessible than football, than, than rugby, than boxing for people who don't already have a direct involvement in it than to get involved. I've, I've seen myself, like, the, 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 there's been times where I've been passed up with opportunity, like, I've had to pass up opportunities because I just know the financials weren't going to work for me. And it's 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 a shame that things are like that. And I, look, I'm, I'm, I've only just turned 21. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not worried about it at all. You know, cause say I, I'm only just at the start. But I, I do think that a little bit more of a welcoming atmosphere of people of different different backgrounds, a bit more of a diversity, is something that could only go that could only benefit. And I guess you'll you'll seen it yourself with Khadija Mello riding in the Magnolia Cup against UK. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think there's so many different sections, you know, sectors in racing. I mean, obviously, a large number of owners are going to be you know, reasonably well off or very well off, yeah. depending on how you look at it. But we've seen, you know, with syndicates growing that it's possible to not earn however many hundreds of thousands a year and still get involved. I mean, just just from a working point perspective, like, you know, I work at the Post and, you know, I wouldn't say we were, we're all sort of, you know, partial, like, you know, people came from a, private school education background I mean there's such a huge mix that I don't think it matters really from a journalist perspective if you just love your racing if you 
thrive when you're writing or whatever it is you're subbing then you can you can do it it doesn't matter about your background and I should say you know I'd like to say the same for going racing you don't have to be a particular age you know or background to enjoy it do you know what I mean it's the same for any sport I think I just think people should enjoy what they want to enjoy without sort of any snobbery uh, when you when you um when you said that racing is a sport that doesn't that might be slightly more difficult to get into than than like a football i'm not really sure i massively agree i think when you go to a race course how many how many football games do you go to where you could talk to a football player before the game mm-hmm. you can talk to any jockey before the game uh, before the race sorry um and you can talk to most trainers um, and and i would say nine times out of ten that certain jockey or that certain trainer will talk to you and and will reply with a, a valid answer to a question if you've got one for them um i don't know many sports that when you're just walking around you're in the same enclosure as x legends when you're at a football game all the legends are hid away in a box um I think there's a bigger class divide there than there is if you're walking around a John Joe Neal's with his wife walking around Utoxita because that's that's what he likes to do. Um, I don't think there's a I think I think there's a, a, a it, it's a difficult sport to get into ownership because of, of fees, but syndicates are helping that. Um, going racing is getting more expensive expensive if you want to go to the big meetings, um, but I don't think there's a massive massive class divide and maybe the people that feel that there is um maybe haven't massively gone and 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 tried to talk to to everyone or whoever they wanted to because i've i've known racing well every every year that i've been involved in racing i've I've always found it massively easy to to speak to most people when i'm there because you've just got to be polite and and sort of carry yourself in a nice way and like like with anything it's Um, it's weird that it's um it's quite a from so obviously my first my first gig really working racing was doing uh, Weatherby racecourses social media, and I'll be honest, when I was getting into the sport, I didn't think I would, would have been welcomed or you know, I didn't think I'd be greeted with open hands. I didn't think people would be willing to talk to me because I said it's not my background, not my culture. Um, however, I working in it, meeting so many amazing people in the sport. They are all so friendly. And that is something that did really shock me, um, to be honest. And it's obviously something that racing probably needs to to promote more. As Josh was saying, it is actually crazy how close you can get to these people. I was at Warwick the other day and I was was going to the toilet. I looked up next to me and Paul Nichols was standing next to me in the urinal. Imagine going to a football match and Jamie Vardy's. You know, it's just, it is a really, really good thing that, that you can get close and personal with the stars of the sport be it the equine or the actual human stars and yeah sorry I don't know what happened there like Joe was saying there's been a massive realisation amongst trainers and amongst racing people that social media you have to be more social media friendly Ocean Murphy is the most polished Mm. media trained jockey I've ever seen and he is brilliant and and he knows and and there's a new wave of jockeys where they're all having to learn this because Oshie Murphy will ultimately get rides 
more sponsorships and stuff because he's just so well media trained yeah. and every jockey's understanding this and, and there's a real realization so if you wanted to do work with a jockey at the moment there's never been a better time i think one thing we as as racing people or people in the racing twitter community do need to realize is we can't really take the piss too much oh wait am i allowed to swear yeah, yeah can't really um and and that's the fact that Bryony Frost, and I'm gonna I'm gonna mention uh, Luca, the young lad that makes the racing videos. Uh, there was a video of him at Kempton, and he's with Bryony Frost, and or, or I think it was Nico de Boinville, and and Nico didn't look massively comfortable, and he was simply going from A to B to try and get from the weighing room to the to the uh, parade ring, and maybe. If, if they're absolutely up for it or it's pre-organized, absolutely go for it. But as people with ideas, you still have to be respectful of the sport. Yeah. And mm. um, I think it's important that we try and get creative and do stuff, but don't take the piss. Um, if, if, if you speak to them, whatever, maybe organize something outside of the race day or at the end of the race day. But if jockeys are in the zone, if, they, if they're massively up for it or they've only got a, a a small selection of rides and fair enough but i think uh going up to people and calling them for content on the day is, is not the not, not the way forward yeah you don't go to you saying bolt do you and before he's 100 meters sprint and go can i just have a quick word yeah you've got to gauge the mood like you know if you're yeah a few quotes you just completely you've got to gauge the mood right because well, no, i think it's i think yeah i agree Kitty. i think it's different from a journalism side but i think if you're when, when you're filming and you're in someone's face for for 30 seconds of content i think can i get people's thoughts on the because i think this is something that would really really help uh tray racing as a sport that people can really watch and get into and that's uh, press conferences Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I personally think John Gosden is the best person to listen to in sport. I don't think there's someone in the whole of sport that gives a better interview than John, John Gosden. I could He's brilliant. To him, yeah. I could listen to him talk about anything, honestly, I really could. But, I mean, I, uh, I rarely give American racing credit at all, but one thing that they do at the Breeders' Cup, they do press conferences. Mm, like, yeah. like it's football, you know, and it, it actually it really does work because you can watch them and talk to them and, and you get professional journalists getting questions across and you get all the insight rather than them just standing on a platform at ITV for a couple of questions and then maybe a joke from you know one of the people there. I think actual set-up press conferences, Dottori, Gosden, just before the King George or something, hey, no, Brian, Ryan Moore, I know that would be a tricky one to uh, <laughs> sort, but, you know... That sort of thing, I think, that, and they'll go all over Twitter, like listen to what John Gosden and Frank have to say about an able, and they're there and they're getting questions from racing post journals. They're getting questions. Yeah. You know, big, big I, I agree. No, I think yeah. that would be very good, but a lot of big racing companies try and get a one over or an exclusive, and that might be the flip side of that. That will soon get weeded out though, because that happens in, you know, that will happen in, in all sorts of sports. It will happen. In, you, you know, at a football press conference, you have a press officer that says, no, don't ask that question about that or whatever. So, or at least like once a month, each stable has one press conference where they tell everything about all the horses and then everyone gets to know all the information about that. 
Yeah, because it will just put race. It will bring racing across as this big multinational, you know, media friendly sport, and that's what that's what young people want to see. Mm. Yeah, media friendly. So I, I I thought it was brilliant the the press conference. I've watched Frankie Dettori dissect the is a is Breeders' Cup turf with an able thousands of times. He's there, and the, you know, kind of like post race reaction, doing his silks and everything. And I, I think it's brilliant. I think it gives you such better insight than I don't know, it's just sticking a mic in their face for 30 seconds and they're going to go oh well I didn't really see the same today you know, didn't bring me into the race it's the same stuff we hear all the time let's get them in front of some proper professional journalists let's get some tough questions asked and let's see what they have to say and I think that would really really help I, I, I agree with you mostly on that Joe on the basis that I think it's, it, it, it makes it seem like more of an event as well yeah, yeah exactly it's, a, a, a sports a sporting day rather than and something to build up to and then react from rather than just a single one-off race that's happened been and gone yeah uh, I guess you've seen the, with the growth as well like the Grand National launch how that is now a huge media day even though very little actually genuine gen, you know generally happens 99% of the horses just just race off the marks mm. and it's you know it's it's only free at the top that get changed, and that's probably the biggest media day, you know, in in racing in Britain all year. The only the only caveat, I guess, with press conferences would be, I'm I'm, I'm thinking of what, how would you interact with a press conference, say, the last day of Cheltenham this year? Is 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 it? going to be particularly uh, palatable for, to you know, especially with, with the triumph to ask, say, Paul Town and Willie Mullins and almost repeat the whole Jamie Moore goshen scenario is, you know, would, would Jamie Moore, I guess he wouldn't want to appear, you well, know. Then, I mean, it's, I, I, without sounding, and I know I'll get stick for this, but he shouldn't really, you know, if a footballer has an absolute howler of a game, they'll get dragged in to talk about it. That's mm. part of the job. And yeah. we get mm. and that we get insight, we get to understand them a bit more. Yeah, it's, it, it'll, be, it'll be nasty for them, obviously, but that is part of their job. And I just think if we can get those sort of, those sort of situations, jockeys and trainers to explain their thinking, be that in success, be that in defeat, and, and I, I, I don't know, I genuinely think that, that would... I think press conferences pre-racing is the way forward. Maybe yes. not after. Yeah. yeah, I think that could that would definitely work. Obviously, but you'd have to try and a bit more media training, you know, towards the people involved. So it isn't just the same stuff that spout out. You know, it had a good run here, and we're a bit disappointed. But we you want to be like, say, going up up to the Grand National, sit down. David Russell, Cornelia, you know, Tiger Roll was injured. What, what were you thinking? Did you really think that the Grand National could still be achievable this year? He's missed half a season through injury, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, that's, that, that's my thoughts anyway. I'd, I'd love for press conferences to have been around when Peter Casey was still was still with us. That would have been some laugh. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like that you've brought jockeys up, Joe because This came to my mind yesterday when... When I were, I were out running, and 
just to give a bit, bit of background on, on my own physiology, I'm, I'm five foot nine. I, uh, I weigh nine nine now. I did <laughs> six months ago. I weighed nine five, and that that was horrendous. Like that was me. I said, I, away from racing and, and football, I live a very boring life, and the only other thing I do is really train, and for for no other reason than my own vanity. And I've got, and now I've realised like I was living off one meal a day, only down to nine five, and I and it was had such a poor effect on my mental health that I wonder as now we we know more about human physiology, we know more about the links to mental and physical health, whether we might see in the next couple of years a, a rise in the minimum weights, and whether that might actually benefit benefit jockeys as as people i cannot imagine donica o'brien being three inches taller than i am and weighing eight because I, I i i was training for three hours a day you know running a 5k two and a half two and a half hours of weights i could only get down to nine five and that that was like torture for my mind and i'm i'm there thinking how are these lads doing it and i know it's tradition and i know it's something that's celebrated but as as a society, as, as we know more now about the links to physical and mental health, with especially the added the added pressure of your income being directly related to this, whether that might be something that would benefit several jobs. I know they, they increased the minimum weight back in 2012. I'm interested to think what you think about that, or would there be backlash from from the lighter weighted jockeys? You know, like the likes of Holly Doyle and you know, Nathan Evans as to them potentially getting less work because they're a little bit not less necessary, but they're just naturally tiny people, aren't they? They're naturally very small and slight and Yeah. I think most jockeys are like that really. They have to be, otherwise they're not in it for very long. Just look at Donica. Um, but you've also got to bear in mind for like the minimum weight. I mean, you've got two year olds running yeah, and that... they you know, they are not fully mature horses. They can't take as much weight as sort of say, you know, a fully matured four-year-old as it were. So I think that, you know, that just has to be careful there because, you know, it's, it's got sort of ripple effects. I think just the whole weight thing it is very difficult. Um, I don't know how they do it. Sort of, you know, it's very hard. Yeah, that that, looks, that, that was something I considered as well yesterday about, especially like in races like the Brockles Bay, yeah. where they are all... You know, m- most of them really aren't aren't too yet. Yeah, I yeah, I I don't really sort of like that personally. I you know I I I would start at three and above personally, but that's just my opinion. Just from looking at you know the whole sort of physicality of horses. I mean, they are you know some horses mature quicker than others, but you know they still are very very young. It, you know. Um, but it's in, that's another, that's a whole different sort of side of it, isn't it? No, it is. It is it's, 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 an, it's an it's an interesting thing because I, I I I just wasn't sure as to whether you know just just a, just even a six pound increase, you know, half half a stone, how much effect that would have. I say I'm not I'm not from a racing background so I could be completely off the mark but from a human background I just felt yeah. mate some some of these some of these jockeys must be going through absolute torture and under so much pressure and 
whether we could make it slightly easier for them as people to to cope with with what is an, a ridiculously hard lifestyle. Uh, they are they are in it for the love of it, aren't they? But it's it, it was it was just a, a minor little point speaking of similar enough personal experience. I think, I think it's. I think it's something you do need to talk about and mental health is obviously <clears throat> a growing issue. Um, but these jockeys don't just land a, a jockey job. They've been taught as kids how to ride and, and they know exactly what they're getting into. Yeah. I think that's why I, I admire jockey so much because having to be so disciplined and, and like I can imagine through the Christmas period having to monitor what I eat. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And and the fact that they might have a ride on Boxing Day and they've got to be 10-1 over jumps and it's just outrageous. Um, so, look, I think it's I think it's something you do need to talk about. But like Kitty says, it will have impact on the younger horses um, and jockeys know exactly what they're getting into. That's that's that, that, that yeah that's that's a very very fair point. I just I just. Wonder whether it would only take two or three jockeys to to say that it has it had become such a negative part of their life. But I guess the battle with the sales is something that look it's it's part of the job description, and it? it's it's a tough one. Uh, we'll move away from that, Joe. Is there anything you want to touch on, mate? You want to bring up? Um, no, I've, with from the notes I've written down here, we've gone through most of the the only um the only other one I had really about. You know, obviously, what racing can actually do in terms of getting younger people more involved. Uh, the final point I had was cost of it all. What you all think of that? Because the the price of a gold cup ticket was about seventy quid, wasn't it? Cheapest one, the best mate enclosure. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yes, and I looked at um, I looked at Man City their website beforehand, so you can go and watch the Premier League champions go and play for thirty five quid. And obviously, you've got seventy pound for the, your cheapest ticket, the best mate enclosure. And you could probably you go and watch City that. for five if you if you really looked. Careful, Josh. Careful. Don't carry him. <laughs> then obviously, with the, with racing, you've got your, your drinks on top of that. You've got your travel on top of that, and they're not in the centre of, of town. So usually, you require a taxi to get to them. You've got your betting. That's not going to appeal to young people if you're saying, "Well, you probably need to have." Going to Cheltenham, it's 150 odd quid probably a day. I don't know how you get around that, but I think the, pr- the, the, the price of just going racing at these big meetings is absolutely ludicrous. And I know stuff like Rewards for Racing has been set up, which I, I use very often. I think it's a, you know, a brilliant initiative, but it's still so much money. I it's thought the membership this year for Cheltenham was very fair as well for the 18 to. Is it the 18 to 30s? Yeah, you get the Wednesday, don't you, with the uh, jockey, the 18 to 25 mm. jockey club pass, and that's that's also a great initiative. I'm pretty sure you get all 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 the days of the festival. Yeah, because I I I, 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 I got it purely for that for that reason. No, you do get all all, all four days. But, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, that is pretty. I didn't know it was four days. But you can get it for the national as well. I thought it was only ladies' day that you could get. I don't know off the top of my head. Select days, but but I mean even so, that doesn't you know, that that won't do anything for the likes of Royal Ascot. Or, um, no, I think I think we're talking about this the the Cheltenham um, eighteen to twenty five pass. The Cheltenham specific one or the job? Yeah, yeah. 
the Cheltenham. I was on about the Jockey Club Pass one. All right. You can get for all the Jockey Club race courses around the country. That's half price entry, but that only works for the Wednesday of the festival. Mm. It, certain courses do do student discounts and stuff. Um, my local track is Haydock, even though it's half an hour down the road. And they've been doing, barring the big, big meetings, they're normally a tenner for students on a Saturday. I think that's cracking value. You can't go anywhere better for a sporting event for a tenner on a Saturday and to go and see top horses. Um, I do think pricing is a big issue at big meetings and courses like York. I think York's could be a prime example where they could get good student value for or 18 to 25 year old value because I've been going there for the past 10, 15 years and there's always young people there and I, I think they could capture that. You've got all the universities around it, get some initiative into them to try and get them into uh, York Race Course for a, a more discounted value. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you've brought pricing up because I do think that's a huge stumbling block in terms of getting people getting people through the door on a regular basis. I think people are a lot more willing. You know, like you say, like a big one off, like you give the example of York, which is, you know, a, a almost a party track, really, in the summer. Mm. But it is, I've, I've like, when, when I had uh, the horse, I have a tiny sharing, uh, made his debut at Donny in January. Not a single one of my mates wanted to come with me. And 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 the re- and the reason being there is because it's fifty quid minimum for them. I think it's twenty quid entry. They'd have been paying fifty. They'd have been paying another thirty in travel. And we only, I say, I only live within an hour away from Doncaster. And that's before they've had a bet the fifty quid down. And it's something they don't particularly care about. You know what I mean? And it's 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 like if someone said to me, "Do you want to spend hundred hundred quid on going to watch a rugby union game?" No, I won't. I won't. I, I wouldn't be fussed. And I think that's where, that is a huge stumbling block. People don't understand it's not just the racing entry fee. There's a money for the gap. There's a money for the, the gambling. I said, I didn't even have a bet when I were at Donny. I, I went there because I wanted to watch Glyn. And, and I, 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 you know, I came and it cost me 50 quid an hour. And I do think that, especially from, I know I know it's all good having these student discounts and things, but there are more lads and lasses who aren't students than are. You know, 18 to 25 would definitely be the way to go. There are so many, you know, people who are on apprentice wages around our age. And really, one day at the races is a full week's work for a lot of people, mm. you know, between 18 and 21. And that's really where, where we should be trying to capture them. And I'm glad you brought that up, Joe, because it is, speaking from experience, it's it, it is, it's a stumbling block because I, I do reckon if I'd have said it, it's going to be a twenty quid and you'll have a day out, I'd have got more. Pe- I'd have got at least five to be able to come. Yeah. But saying fifty quid minimum, not a chance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Josh, what about you, mate? I think your mic's on mute, Josh. You muted yourself, lad. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> um. I've got nothing. We've talked on everything. I hope the horse racing game comes out. That's, that's all I'm hoping for. I hope it comes out in the next few days so I can actually... Uh, <laughs> Wouldn't mind it, yeah. If anyone fancies making one, it'd be a good time now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kitty, yourself? Um, Just in general? Yeah, just anything else that we've not touched on that you think's worth debating? 
Oh gosh, there's we've gone through so much, and um, it's one of those topics. It's one of those things where you could say a lot about um, everything. But um, yeah, I just think in terms of racing coming back, we need to just make sure that the time's right. I mean, it's great that the BHA and the NTF have got talks in place, but ultimately, it just we need to make sure it's the right time to come back during what is a very difficult time. Uh, do you think do you think we could end up shooting ourselves in the foot by coming back too early? I think it could affect perception, but yes. yeah, that that's what I'm sort of concerned about, given the Cheltenham bashing, which is, you know, a whole, another topic. But um, I think we just need to be careful because if, if we if we sort of went ahead and then this virus, you know, there was a second wave of the virus, I think that could cause a bit of probably very probably understandably quite a bit of sort of anger. So I think we just need to be careful about timing. But um yeah. I'm yeah, sure we've already had enough slacking for having Cheltenham, weren't we? So Yeah. If we bring racing back too quickly we'll we'll get absolutely penalty. Yeah, I do think. Yeah, it'd it, it be unwise. It's just to be fair, I do think, I do think the actions taken by the BHA and, and horse racing Ireland so far have been, have been the right ones, and mm. I like that they have. Maybe not putting provisional measures. Well, I guess Royal Ascot behind closed doors is a provisional measure, isn't in it? But the whole rescheduling of the classics, as long as we end up with some semblance of a season as long as everyone stays safe, hopefully. It would be worthwhile. Uh, Jim, anything for you? You've not mentioned no. Colin Tizard yet. Every, everything's been mentioned. Uh, I can't get Colin Tizard into any of this, so no. Yeah, we'll wrap that up there, then. Thanks a lot to everyone for joining us. Uh, thanks to Josh and Joe and Kitty. Uh, really enjoyed having, having you all on, and I hope uh, we've come up with some all right points between the five of us. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening as well. I say it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a different episode this weekend. We can't really be. We're not going to pretend we know about Hong Kong. We're not going to be giving you any tips of that. And even if they would, well, they'd probably be better than Watson's at Cheltenham. Uh, so thanks a lot for everyone for listening, and we'll see you all again very soon. We'll have uh, links to all of our guests' uh, Twitters in the bio. See you all later. Bless see up. you later. See you. Take care. Thank you.